Now I want to talk to you about Jesus' attitude today. Everybody say with me, I've got an attitude. Now that could be bad or it could be good. Some of you have an attitude that needs some adjustments. Well, we all need adjustment. But some of you need an attitude that needs deliverance. And some of you have a good attitude, but it's going to get better. But the only way you can really grow is if you have something higher than you, stronger than you, better than you that you can reach for, reach to emulate. And you can't get a better attitude than the attitude that was in Jesus Christ. So let's read about it. And I'm going to talk to you about an unselfish attitude today. Now, this is describing Jesus' attitude. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Can I read that again? Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must, now read this with me, everybody. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Now, there we're being told, get Jesus' attitude. So then, verse 6, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, and he was born as a human being, the incarnation. It's a miracle. Amen? When he appeared in human form, he went further down. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died, not just a death, but a criminal's death on a cross. Wow, those are amazing verses. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. Lord, we know we need our minds changed. We need our minds renewed. So, Lord, I'm asking you as we minister the word of God today that it will renew our minds, change our minds, and in so doing, change our lives. And so, Lord, thank you for the grace to communicate this word, and thank you for giving my listeners ears to hear, eyes to see, a heart to understand, and to receive with meekness the engrafted word, able to save our soul. Now, can you pray, church, and say, Lord, change my mind, renew my mind, and thus change my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Tell your neighbor, you got an attitude. And that's not necessarily bad, but just tell them, because everybody's got one. Everybody's got an attitude. (laughs) I almost started some fights in marriages in the first service saying that, because some of the spouses turned to their spouse and said, you really do have an attitude, and and I had to kind of pray. No. Now, based on these verses, this is written to a church. These verses are written to the church at Philippi, so the Apostle Paul since they didn't have email, they didn't have telephones, they had nothing, word has come to him that there's trouble in this church. Now, we can tell by what he tells them to do what the trouble was. It's pretty easy to see. They weren't getting along, or he wouldn't have had to write these things because this this letter had a target audience. Clearly, the target audience wasn't getting along. They were conflicted. They were in disagreement. They weren't loving each other, and they were certainly not unified. So Paul is writing to them with what we can call a spiritual prescription. He's like a a doctor. Let me give you a prescription. Here's what you need. You need to get rid of your selfishness. Clearly, the problem here was selfishness. It's selfishness. 
Now, I've been around on this planet long enough to see that most disagreements in a marriage, in a workplace, in friendships, most disagreements have as their root selfishness. You can't be married for very long and be happy if you're selfish. Amen, Pastor Jeff. You can't. If you're selfish, uh, it only takes one selfish person to make a marriage miserable. Uh, marriage is God's way at getting you unselfish at warp speed. Right? Now, selfishness was the problem. So Paul now holds up then the most unselfish person that ever lived, Jesus Christ. And he said, I want you to have the attitude Jesus had. Because his attitude was completely and totally unselfish. He was perfect love. He was undiluted, perfect industrial strength love. There was never a greater lover than Jesus. And so with perfect love had to be perfect unselfishness. He was not selfish in any way. Not an atom of his being was selfish. So in giving this spiritual prescription, here's what Paul is saying. I want you to pattern your relationships after Jesus. Your marriages, your friendships, your fellowship at church, I want you to pattern them after Jesus. Because if you're unselfish, then then you are going to be a really good person to be in relationship with. Unselfish people. You must have the same attitude, he says. You must have the same attitude that Jesus had. Well, okay, when I read that, I go, well, then what was his attitude? What was Jesus' attitude that is so incredible I need to emulate it? What was it? Well, he tells us exactly what it was. He says, for Jesus, the way up was down. We're told this about him. He did not demand that his own rights be catered to. He didn't say, I want my rights. In fact, he gave up all of his rights. Unselfishly, so that he could become one of us and reach us and love us and save us. He didn't claim his rights. He relinquished his rights. He laid down his heavenly position of power in order to serve. We can't even comprehend what Jesus had in heaven. He was God the Son, seated at the right hand of the Father. He had incredible bliss, power, authority, joy. I mean, none of what stains this planet even touched heaven, the third heaven, where Jesus dwelt. And it says he laid it down, he gave it down, he stepped off that throne and came to become one of us in a totally unselfish move. He put others before himself, always, every single time, going all the way to the cross so that we could be redeemed. And even when we were his enemies, he did it. He put others before himself. There in the Garden of Gethsemane, oh, Father, if there's any way for me to miss, to dodge, if there's any other way for me to save them than going to the cross, please, Father, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine. And Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane chose unselfishness. He says, no man takes my life from me. I give my life. I give my life. And so he gave it unselfishly and went all the way to the cross in the greatest act of unselfish love in the history of mankind. Nobody ever made an unselfish move on the level that Jesus did. If Jesus had a middle name, it would be unselfish. Jesus, unselfish, Christ. 
Totally unselfish. He had an unselfish attitude. So this attitude that we're to have that was in Jesus Christ was, among other things, an unselfish attitude. Let that attitude be in you. We've heard of people drinking themselves to death, drugging themselves to death, working themselves to death, but Jesus humbled himself to death. He emptied himself in the greatest act of love in history. And see, Paul says, there's your example of an attitude, the attitude I want you to have. Jesus had an attitude, but it was a glorious attitude, an overcoming attitude, an attitude of love, an attitude of patience, an attitude of forgiveness, an attitude of perseverance, an attitude of mercy, an attitude that always gave God the glory and always worshiped God in and through all things. His attitude was sterling, pristine, glittering, shining, perfect. And he says, now, here you are down here. I want you to look at his attitude and reach for it. Now, the advice that Paul gives to the church is completely opposite of the message of our culture. Totally opposite of the message our culture bombards us with each and every minute of each and every day. We are bombarded with a totally antithetical, different, opposite message. Totally. From television. Films, newspaper, radio, it comes at us. Totally different opposite thinking than the attitude that was in Jesus Christ. See, we worship not unselfish people. We worship narcissists in this culture. I can name some Kardashians. I'm too busy keeping up with Jesus to keep up with the Kardashians. But let me tell you, you talk about narcissists. They've made millions of dollars off of selfies. What about movie stars? We worship movie stars. The only star in my book is Jesus Christ, the bright in the morning star. I don't see any person as a star. There are no stars in human beings. I don't worship any human being, but I worship all day, every day with all my being. The Lord Jesus Christ, the one and only worthy star. But we worship movie stars. We worship celebrity. If they're on radio, television, movies, we somehow think they're above us, but they're not. They're just people just like us with fallen natures. Our society glorifies self-love. And that's the opposite of the attitude that was in Jesus Christ. It's a get ahead, look out for number one, rise to the top at all costs, be a winner, take no prisoners kind of world. That's the attitude that our culture carries and spreads and preaches we don't view unselfishness as something to be desired. We, we, we give a great big attaboy to people who selfishly rise to the top. But that's God's will for us. Not selfishness, but unself, the attitude that was in Jesus Christ. I'm going to read it again. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than you. Huh? I thought I'm number one. I thought it's all about me. I thought that I was the most important. I thought I'm supposed to be watching out for number one, me. Uh Uh-uh. Jesus' attitude, don't look out for your own interests. Take an interest in others. He's not saying totally disregard yourself, 
But don't just only regard yourself, but regard others. I read a study this week that I couldn't believe. I read a study and I thought, wow, I can't believe this because I'm going to preach on this this Sunday. But this is a real study that was done and it revealed this. Most people have a clear, hands-down favorite topic for most of their conversations themselves. Get this. It said that on an average, people spend 60% of their conversations talking about themselves, me, I'm so important. We just need to talk about me. That's not about me. Now let's talk about me. And guess what? This doesn't surprise me. This percentage jumps to 80% when you go to Facebook and Twitter. Facebook and Twitter, 80% of the conversation that goes back and forth is all about you. I've never understood the Facebook thing. Why in the world you would want to put your dirty laundry on Facebook? Uh, oh, my, my marriage is in big trouble and he's doing this and she's doing that. I don't know how we're going to make it. And, and you, should, all your dirty, listen, some of you need to wash your face book. <laughs> right? Why well, put all that stuff on there? Not only shouldn't you do it, it's nobody's business, but I don't want to know. I've got a little uh, philosophy. Gossip the gospel. If you're going to go on there on Facebook, gossip the gospel. Brag on Jesus. Talk about Jesus. Lift Jesus up. But get off yourself. Another study. I was on a study trip this week. Another study revealed the reason we like talking about ourselves so much is because literally it feels good to talk about me. Researchers from Harvard found that when people talk about themselves, the parts of the brain associated with motivation and reward light up. Just like when a person eats fried chicken, macaroni and cheese, pizza, or a hit of cocaine. And I didn't say that, Harvard did. I don't know what a hit of cocaine is like. Harvard said it. But the same pleasure center that is activating when you eat a Papa John's pizza is activated when you talk about wonderful you. So the conclusion is that we love talking about ourselves because it feels good. I got one more study. This study found that listening to someone else is like doing squats. While talking about yourself is like eating a cinnamon bun. So the deal is, you're talking to somebody, what do you want to do, squats or you want to eat a cinnamon bun? So if you talk about yourself, it's like you're eating a cinnamon bun. You, are, you, have, you have gotten into the pleasure center of your brain to talk about you. This is not the attitude that was in Jesus Christ. So the Bible's advice for us to get over ourselves and consider others more important than us totally contradicts the message of our selfish, narcissistic culture. Here, Now, here's the good news. God's not going to tell us to do something we can't do. If God says, he's not suggesting that we have the attitude that was in Jesus Christ. He's telling us, have the attitude that was in Jesus Christ. Have the, walk in that attitude. Others, more important than you, thinking of others' interests over your own, humbling yourself. Not putting yourself first. 
all those things that comprise the attitude of Jesus Christ, he wouldn't tell us to, to carry it, to adopt it, to emulate it if we couldn't do it. It's, it says, I can do all things, even changing a selfish attitude. I can do it through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. And we don't need to pray about it. We know if he told us to do it, then Jesus is going to strengthen us to do it. It's an act of obedience. So we can do, we can have the attitude. You can change your selfish attitude. You can experience a transformation in the way you think. If we couldn't, he wouldn't tell us to do it. So how then can we do it? How do we put on the attitude of Jesus Christ? How how do we adapt? Adopt the attitude of Jesus Christ. How do we do it? How can I walk out of here with a plan, a game plan, to begin to emulate and take on the attitude that Jesus had? How can I do it? Okay, the way the Bible tells us to do it, when I read it to you, you're going to say, that doesn't make sense to me. Or you're going to look at me like a calf stares at a new gate. Because you're not going to know what to do with what I'm going to tell you. But I'm going to tell you what the Bible tells us, how the Bible tells us to have the attitude Jesus had. So are you ready? All right, here we go. First of all, it says, if you want the attitude of Jesus, by faith, put it on. Everybody say, put it on. I told you, you're looking at me just the way I told you you would. Say say it again, put it on. You say, where do you get that, Jeff? Listen to this. In Romans, it says, put on. The Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh to gratify his desires. So folks, catch this now. The Bible literally tells us that we should put on the right attitude like we would put on a coat. Like we would get dressed in the morning. Put it on. Put it on. By faith, put on Jesus. By faith, put it on. Listen, walking in Jesus' unselfish attitude is a faith choice we make many times a day. We're to just put it on. In an intentional act of faith where we dress ourselves with his attitude. Because it's the same thing. You put on Jesus like you put on a coat. I'm going to show you this in just a minute. You put on Jesus by faith. Now you got to know what Jesus was like if you're going to put him on. But I'm telling you today, you you at least walk out knowing he was unselfish. He put others in front of himself. He lowered himself, humbled himself, served others. You're going to know more about Jesus today than when you walked in here. But the more we learn about Jesus, the more of Jesus we can put on. But it says, put on Jesus by faith. Now, let me give you an example. This morning, I get up and I stood in my closet looking at various things that I could wear and I thought it through. Now, some of you are looking at me right now going, you didn't think very good. But I want you to, just to follow me. I looked in my closet and I went, do I wear this or do I wear that? Or do I wear that or do I wear this? Does this match with that? Or would that look better with this? And some of you guys are going, well, Pastor Jeff, I don't go through that. I've been wearing the same jeans for two weeks. When, you, when you're up here on a Sunday, you got to kind of think it through. So just pretend with me. And some of you ladies, you take an hour, so don't look at me. But here's the deal. So I went through thinking, what am I going to wear? And I finally just chose this and that and the other, and, and I got dressed. Now, listen, 
Isn't it funny how we think, we give time and trouble to thinking daily of what we're going to wear, what clothes we're going to put on, how we're going to present ourselves to the world, but we never give a thought to what attitude we're going to put on that day. But the Bible says that an attitude is something you put on. Your attitude, you are not a victim of your attitude. Your attitude is something you put on. Your attitude is a choice. If you've got a sour attitude, angry attitude, bitter attitude today, that's an attitude you chose and you have put it on. But if you've got an overcoming, happy, joyful, positive attitude, that's an attitude you chose out of your clothes rack and you put it on. An attitude is not a choice, or rather is a choice. It's not something that grabs you by the throat and says, you must walk in me. No, an attitude is a choice. It's a choice. It's a choice. Most people walk out the door every day with whatever attitude they woke up with. And that's it. They don't ever think about it. But an attitude, Christians are supposed to wake up this way. All right, this is the day the Lord has made. I am to have the attitude that was in Jesus Christ. So I am putting on the attitude that Jesus walked in. I'm putting on that attitude. That's the attitude that I'm going to wear. Other people are more important than me. I'm going to think of others and not just myself. I'm not going to be self-centered. I'm not going to be narcissistic. I'm not going to be selfish. But I'm going to put on the attitude, the loving, caring, thoughtful, sensitive nature and attitude that Jesus walked in. I am literally by faith choosing to put it on. If you don't choose your attitude every day, an attitude is going to choose you. You might be surprised how often the New Testament tells us to put it on, to put our spiritual garments, our spiritual, the things of God on. Let me give you another example. Colossians says, put on, everybody say put on. There it is again. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Now here's what you're to put on. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Put them on. Get dressed in them. Choose to walk in them. So, Jeff, I just thought, just walking with God, going to church and doing my best, that this would grow in me. Well, that happens too. But do you see with me, the Bible is telling me that by faith, I can make these things my own by just choosing to walk in them. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Whereas in the old life, we wore these clothes. Here's the clothes we wore. Anger, greed, selfishness, lust, hate, evil desires. These are the things that we walked in. We walked in them because we had a fallen nature. We had no choice but to walk in them. Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. The Bible says that we were slaves of sin. And we traveled to the drumbeat of the devil. We had to do what sin and the devil told us to do. But when we got saved, God gave us a whole new wardrobe of spiritual clothes in what we could call our salvation closet. And he says, in the morning, you go into that salvation closet and you put on compassion. You put on humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness. And above all, love, which we're told binds everything together in perfect harmony. It says, reach in 
and put them on. So it's telling us I don't have to wait 20 years where I can love people. It says put it on. I don't have to wait 30 years for me to be patient. Just put it on. Everybody say with me again, put it on. Now, now I'm telling you Bible doctrine here. This is what the Bible says. This is doctrine, but this is life. This is the way we're to do Christianity. We're by faith to put them on, get dressed in them each and every day. And we're also told to put some things off. Put some things on, take some things off. Listen to this, Ephesians 4, put off your old self. Put off your old self. You remember that old self that got you in all that trouble? Your old self, nasty, cussing, drinking, doping, adulterating, fornicating, hating God, living in rebellion, doing what you wanted to do in your rebellious heart. The old self says, now that you're saved, put it off, which belongs to your former manner of life. Describing the old man, the old self, it belongs to your former manner of life, and it is corrupt through deceitful desires. Now look what he says again. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and do what everybody say it with me, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now that old self Otherwise called the old man is the old man of sin, the old nature, the sin nature that you had before getting saved. And I'm going to show you what he was like. He was like this coat. Now I'm going to put this coat on. And this coat represents the old nature. Now I want you to notice it looks old and it looks nasty. I wanted to make it even nastier. But look at the back. Isn't it, isn't it just nice and dirty and nasty, just like your old man, your old self was? Because we all walked in the old self before we were saved. We did what it told us to do. We went where it told us to go. We obeyed the devil. We obeyed sin. We were a slave to sin. We had no choice. We had to obey what sin told us to do. It's the old life. It was nasty, dirty. If you could be up here with me, you would also agree it's smelly. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you whose coat this was. Uh, now, when you get saved, God says, this old man, this old self was crucified with Jesus Christ. Okay? He's crucified with Jesus Christ. And what God does, he comes along and he gives you a new man. This right here is cashmere. This is cashmere. He gives you a new self. And it says right here, created after the likeness of God. So if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away. And all has become new. Say it with me. New. So here, I've got this new coat. I've got this new life. I've got a new nature. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. He has a new nature. If any man be in Christ, he is now wrapped in a new nature that is created just like Jesus. Now, I have to walk in this. This is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, faith. 
This new nature wants to please God. This new nature wants to pray. This new nature wants to read the Word of God. This new nature wants to go to church instead of partying hardy. This new nature wants to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I'm going to make you ruler over much. This new nature is what God gave you when you came to Jesus Christ. But now, here's the message. I want you to catch this. It says, the old man, that old nature. I'm going to get this off. It's hot up here. But here's the new nature right here. Here's the old man right there. Now, here's what the Bible tells us about the old man. The Bible tells us that the old man has been crucified with Christ. He no longer has the same power over us, but he still lurks in the shadows of your soul, hoping for a chance to spring to the fore and take charge. If you don't understand what I'm telling you today, you can be saved and still walk around in this too much. He can be put off, but he's not snuffed out until you go to heaven. When you go to heaven, you're not going to have to deal with him again. But in the meantime, he's lurking in the shadows of your soul, but you, as a born-again child of God, now have a choice, whereas the lost person had no choice. The lost person had to walk in this. But the new Christian can put this off. Okay? Literally, the word, the words put off mean lay it aside. Lay it aside. We can lay aside that old man. But in the right situations, if we don't watch it, we can pick him up again and we can put him on again. He can be put off, but he can also be put on. Paul says, by faith, put him off. And by faith, pick up the new man, pick up the new self, pick up the new coat and put it on. Put on the attitude that was in Jesus Christ. Put on the character of Jesus Christ. Put on Christ. This is good preaching. I'm feeling real good. Now, I want you to catch this. Because a lot of Christians, they say, well, Christianity didn't work for me. No, Christianity didn't fail you. You didn't do it right. Because we got to understand that by faith, God has given us the power to say no to this old man, to put him down, to let him stay on the cross, crucified with Christ. God's not going to force you to put it on. You must intentionally, by faith, put on your spiritual redeemed clothes. When you were a little child, let me give you an example. When you were a little child, your parents decided what you would wear. You remember that? I didn't like anything they wanted to put on me. And they dressed you in it every day. But the day came when your parents said, you're old enough now, get dressed yourself. Likewise, when we were first saved, God does a lot of things for those that are firstborn, newborn, that we don't do for ourselves because we're unfamiliar with the things of God. We don't know enough truth. But soon enough, God says, get dressed yourself. Get dressed yourself. I want you to get dressed yourself. Reach into your salvation closet, God says, and you put on the clothes. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, faith, the attitude of Jesus. You put it on. Put on Jesus. Now, all this sounds great. And you can go home today and say, oh, that was spiritual. Pastor Jeff preached good. I, that, I really love that. But tomorrow morning cometh. Monday morning. 
And then you're going to have to work it out in real life. So I'm going to get real practical and talk to you about working it out, and then I'm done. It's one thing to say I'm putting on Jesus while you're in your prayer closet feeling spiritual, and nothing is there to challenge you. But it's another thing all together to work it out once you walk out the door. So say with me today, work it out. You're going to have to work it out. This is good truth, but you're going to have to work it out, walk it out. When you get into that rush hour traffic, Jesus can seem real far away. When, when you get to work and that one person where you're the chalkboard and they're the fingernails is waiting for you at the water cooler, that old coat wants to jump on you. Or before you even walk out the door, your spouse says something or the kids do something that throws cold water all over your spiritual fire. And here's the deal. Listen carefully to me. The decision to put on the attitude of Jesus, to put on the same attitude Jesus had, is going to be tested each and every day in the normal routine of life. Here's the way it works. When that selfish, irritating, rush hour driver pulls in front of you, almost driving you off the road, you have a choice which coat you're going to reach for. Now, I don't know about you, but it took me a long time in rush hour traffic to reach more for this one than for this one. Have you noticed how many people are in their old coats on rush hour traffic? (laughs) Are there some attitudes in rush hour traffic? But here's the deal. It is in the testings of life. It is in the presence of adversity that your attitude is formed. And if something comes along, let's say somebody betrays you, they stab you in the back and turn the knife. How you respond is going to decide what your attitude is when you emerge from that trial. If you respond with anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, and a grudge, then you emerge from that trial with a chip on your shoulder. You emerge with a chip on your shoulder. You emerge with an attitude. Those church people, I don't go to church anymore, a bunch of hypocrites in there. I'm just going to stay home and watch Christian TV and pray who needs that church going there and all those hypocrites sitting there with halos over their head acting like they're so righteous, but I know the truth about them. You can take church. I don't want church. I'm going to heaven anyway. Anybody want to come over? No. Now, now, you see what happened? They responded in the fire And because they responded, unlike the attitude of Christ, they emerged with an attitude. But if you go through the betrayal and you say, you know what? I'm going to put on the attitude that was in Jesus Christ. He was betrayed, but he forgave. He prayed for them. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He did not allow bitterness to have one square inch in his soul. He said, I'm going to walk with God. I am not going to let any sin cast a shadow over my walk with God. I I, I forgive and I'm moving on. When you take that and you do that, you emerge from that trial with the attitude that was in Jesus Christ. Because attitudes are forged in the presence of adversity and how you respond to the adversity. Every time you respond with the attitude that was in Jesus Christ, you grow. And every time you pull out the old dirty coat, 
You say, oh, no, bless God, I'm not going to, I'm going to get mine, I'm going to get vengeance, I'm going to this and that. You pull out that old coat, then you miss a chance to grow. Every time we put on the attitude of Jesus in the presence of adversity, we grow. We grow spiritually. That attitude is cemented into our soul. The good news is God is patient, God is good. God is merciful, God is long-suffering. Aren't you so glad for the mercy and the long-suffering of God? He's not the God of the second chance. He's a God of a third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth chance. Because he's already decreed that we're going to be like Jesus. So if we miss it this time, believe me, you're going to have another, another chance to put on the redeemed coat, the attitude of Jesus, and walk through that trial and learn. Here's the promise. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they are good for us. They help us to learn to be patient. Did you hear what he said? Rejoicing in problems and trials. That's the formation of the attitude of Jesus. We know they're good for us. Problems and trials. We know they're good for us. They help us learn to be patient. And patience develops strength of character in us and helps us trust God more each time we use it until finally our hope and faith are strong and steady. How many of you want your hope and faith strong and steady? Then the way you get there is you put on the attitude that was in Jesus Christ in the presence of adversity and you grow. And you come out of it finally. You know what? That used to move me. It doesn't move me anymore. That used to rattle me. It doesn't rattle me anymore. That used to shake me up. It doesn't shake me up anymore because I'm steady, Eddie. I'm steady. I'm strong in my faith. I do not waver. Peter, you're going to be called a rock, even though you are like unstable water. You're going to be called a rock. I'm going to make you strong and steady. Amen. Now I'm going to close with one thing. Please always remember this. It matters when you're walking through this. There's no fast food restaurant for spiritual growth. You can't walk into a spiritual McDonald's and say, I want the attitude of Jesus and I want it now. It is a process. It is a process. Because gifts are sown, fruit is grown. God gives you a gift when you're saved. When I got saved, he gave me the gift of uh, ministering his word immediately. I mean, almost immediately, I knew that gift was there, but it took years and I'll do the rest of my life learning to put on his attitude because gifts are sown instantly, but fruit is grown over years. So we got to know we're in a process. Learning to put on Jesus and walk with his attitude takes time and trouble, trial and error, persistence and patience. Jesus said the seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. Can we stand up together? Say with me, Jesus' attitude was unselfish. We're called to get dressed in the same attitude. It's a faith choice to put it on. When we choose his attitude in times of adversity, we grow. Can we say, put it on, put it on. Let's lift our hands to the Lord. Father, we thank you that we are able to put on Jesus and grow. We thank you, Lord.
Thank you for the goodness of God. And I want you just to pray a prayer with me today and say to the Lord, say, Jesus, change my mind. Help me to put on by faith the attitude that was in you. Well, I just sense such an anointing on that right now. I want to say directly to some of you, I'm feeling the Spirit nudge me to say this. You have battled a negative attitude. People around you have told you about the attitude. And you've tried to overcome it and you feel like you just keep failing. I want to tell you, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And he wouldn't tell you to do it. If you couldn't do it, he's going to do it. You choose to put it on no matter how many times you fail. And day by day, God's going to do it in you. There's no hopeless cases with God.